0: Welcome to None Dare Call It Ordinary, the podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the evergreen forest and the erratic Brent.
1: That's me.
0: He's (laughs) he's erratic, folks. Be careful (laughs) with him. He's a live wire.
2: Hey, Dylan, (laughs) I thought that you were going to stay away from the obvious um, forest... references, but now you're going with it. See, I
0: am because I said I would avoid them. And so the obvious thing would be for me to not use it. Uh, So see, see. I'm changing it up. I'm not being obvious at all. Now you don't know what I'm going to do. It's a
2: (laughs) reverse psychology type maneuver. So that
0: that fits well with today's um,
2: continued topic.
0: Exactly, exactly. And also, we want to remind all of our listeners about the social media hegemony challenge, which is still raging to see who can preemptively war their way to democratizing the internet. So right now, Brent has 120 followers. Last time I checked, which is four more than last week, still placing him. In third place with the Saddam Hussein Bronze Star Award Ah, for being a total loser. Still a loser. I was surprised because up until a few moments ago, you were actually tied with Forrest. um, But unfortunately, (laughs) Forrest pulled out right at the end. And speaking of which... Um, Forrest, with the YouTube page, has 31 followers. It's the Russian bots. Which is two
2: more. The Russian bots are helping me.
0: Uh, It could be the Russian bots, (laughs) but hey, they still count. They're still followers. (laughs) And that puts him in second place with the Nicolas Maduro Award for being defeated, but still kicking. And lastly, yours truly, with the Twitter account, now has 405 followers, which is 23 more than last week. Placing me well on track to win the John Bolton Gold Star Award for total world domination. So, to let us know who you think should win the Social Media Hegemony Challenge, please subscribe to our Twitter account, which is at NDCIO, Instagram at NunDareCallItOrdinary, and our YouTube page, which can be found, the link to which can be found on our website. And while we still have you, if you could please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever your podcasts are served.
1: Yes, and what are we talking about today, Dylan?
0: Well, today we are still talking about mental illness denialism. Last week we covered uh, Thomas Saz, who is considered the godfather of anti-psychiatry, and today we're going to be focusing on the Scientology angle to anti-psychiatry and all the wonderful documentaries and organizations that they founded (laughs) to promote their reasonable and cogent views about how psychiatry is destroying you and those you love. Yep. But before we get into the topic itself, we want to remind everybody that if you or someone you love is suffering from a mental illness, we highly encourage you to reach out for professional help. At the Scientology.com website. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Joe. Anyway, no, do not go to Scientology.com. <laughs> yeah, no. In I'm fact, to make sure that you can find a list of reliable resources, if you go to nundarecallitordinary dot com slash mental health, you will find a list of resources provided by the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Again, that is nundarecallit Ordinary dot com slash mental health. Also, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is one 800 273 8255. And we ask you to please, if you need help, there are resources out there and they want to help you. That is what they are there for. But Dylan, let's talk about resources
2: that perhaps maybe aren't there to help you.
0: Yes. So there are definitely, that's an excellent segue. There are definitely psychiatric resources, which are not there to help you or frankly, anybody but themselves.
1: Allegedly. But they're
0: there. They are there, though, so we do need to talk about them. And the one we have in mind is the Citizens Commission on Human Rights, also known as CCHR. The CCHR was established by the Church of Scientology in 1969 as a nonprofit organization with its headquarters in Los Angeles, California. The CCHR's stated mission is to, quote, eradicate abuses committed under the guise of mental health and enact patient and consumer protections. Now, why would Scientology get into the anti-psychiatry game? The basic reason is that L. Ron Hubbard hated psychiatry because they thought he was kind of an idiot. (laughs) He wrote Dianetics. (laughs) He tried getting his ideas published in mainstream psychological journals. None of them did because, again... It's all stupid and wrong. And so he decided there must be a psychiatric conspiracy (laughs) against him and that him and Scientology must work tirelessly to destroy it.
2: Yep. And, you know, just in case their lawyers are listening, we're not saying Hubbard was an idiot. We're only saying there were some really smart people that thought he was an idiot. That's all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We do not have the credentials (laughs) to declare Dianetics and Scientology mega dumb. (laughs) and against all known (laughs) evidence and principles of psychiatry. What we do know is that psychiatrists thought that. And we can say that for sure.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So uh, L. Ron Hubbard formed CCHR with our buddy Thomas Saz, though Saz himself never became a Scientologist. (laughs) I like how even he drew the line at some point. Yeah, Yeah, even he had to draw the line. In fact, he was a staunch atheist, so ooh, it's kind of like a little bit of a religious conflict. It's kind of like <laughs> the
2: uh, legitimate scientists that joined Lyndon LaRouge for um, yeah, totally. instrumental purposes, except um, Zaz is not
3: legitimate.
0: So
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, so it's like two difference.
0: layers. It's two layers of wrong, but, instead of but just it's one. slightly more legitimate than maybe L. Ron Hubbard. I don't I'm not sure. Uh, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Maybe. Not sure. Maybe. The early focus for CCHR was on involuntary commitment procedures. In more recent times, the CCHR has focused more on psychiatric organizations, specific psychiatrists, and pharmaceutical companies. For example, the organization took on Eli Lilly, the manufacturer of Prozac. This apparently caused large commercial damage to the company, so they're very successful. And again, why we want to talk directly to Scientology's lawyers to let them know that we do not deserve any of that. Among CCHR's beliefs on psychiatry, one is that ADHD isn't real, and so they were part of the campaign for a class-action lawsuit against the manufacturer of Ritalin, Novartis. Um, The psychiatric organizations CHADD and the APA were also part of the lawsuit. All lawsuits, however, were dismissed in 2002. Well, of course. So aside from their views that ADHD wasn't real... The CCHR blames psychiatry on almost every bad thing ever. For example, World War I, Hitler, Stalin, and 9-11. So, uh, ooh, uh. pretty rough. This is all literally on display at the CCHR Psychiatry and Industry of Death Museum, located <laughs> in Los Angeles, California. <laughs>
3: <laughs> A Note very that gripping that, uh, name, I have that, to admit. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Note though that psychiatry is not to blame for Yaa yeah! Gate, which, as we all know by now, was a dark day in American history. Do you guys remember that horrible scandal? That's when oh, Howard no. Dean got too well. It's when Howard Dean got too excited in a campaign speech oh, and oh, yaaad. Yeah, oh, that was yeah. So I mean, horrible. If, oh, Brent, you Just know, totally I mean, if we're going to blame psychiatry campaign.
0: on something, it really should be that. Brent, I, yeah. I shudder yeah! to think. Of that dark day. I'm
2: truly triggered now. Please don't don't talk about that anymore, please. It's <laughs> sorry about far that. too horrible. Okay, Sorry to bring it up. Yeah.
0: Let's move on to something much more peaceful
2: much more and lighter. beautiful.
1: Yep.
0: Oh, yeah. Yep.
2: In fact, we're going to be talking about the maddening CCHR video about madness.
0: So, Ooh, uh, double oh, double madness.
2: Yeah. This is on the CCHR's website. You can find a glorious mockumentary movie called Psychiatry, an industry of death. Oh, wait, did I say mockumentary? I'm sorry, I meant documentary.
1: Oh, the opposite. There are so many wacky characters in this film, though, that I for a second, I did think I was watching a Christopher Guest mockumentary. But Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's, it's like, either the a- best mockumentary or the worst documentary. Right. It's yes, one can. or exactly. the other. There's no middle ground. <laughs> so
2: I'm going to go over the main highlights of this so-called documentary. Chapter one, an industry of death.
1: Ah, subtle right off the bat.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. They're, it's just as perfect. subtle if
0: that's what as... The, if that's what the... If, that's, if, <laughs> if psychiatry is an industry of death, they're not very efficient at their job, I have to admit. <laughs> they're... <laughs>
1: True.
2: <laughs> it should be like psychiatry, an industry that sometimes leads to deaths, maybe once in a while, something like that.
0: <laughs> Which it doesn't have the punch. It, it doesn't have the it punch, have of have an punch at all. Of death. No,
2: that's the problem. Exactly. Yeah. But hey, that's what they name it. So about one minute in... We hear from a certain Dr. Jeffrey Chaler, who says, speaking of the field of psychiatry, quote, they basically believe that everyone is mentally ill. Ooh, However, wow. according to the National Institute of Mental Health, only one in five people in the United States struggles with varying degrees of mental illness. So, guys, maybe I missed something here, but does one in five count as basically everyone?
1: Mm. Yes. I am not a mathematician, but it sounds about right. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, as someone ignorant of how ratios work, that does sound like basically <laughs> <Yes>. everyone.
2: <laughs> about one minute and 45 seconds in, a Dr. Ron Liefer comes on and says, quote, there is not one shred of credible evidence that any respectable scientist would consider valid demonstrating that anything that psychiatrists call mental illness are brain diseases or biochemical imbalances. It's all fraud so the documentary presents him with the title psychiatrist which is pretty hilarious given that this is an anti-psychiatry documentary
1: <laughs> yeah you, you really should root out the psychiatrist inside of you before going after other psychiatrists it's just yeah
0: standard. i'm in with the psychiatrist in the mirror oh, yeah
3: <laughs> the power of zaz compels you oh um,
0: <laughs> we have to we have to take a quick break. I need to take that off. that totally works. So, uh, all right, I am ready and back on track. Around
2: two minutes and 45 seconds in, in what kind of looks like outdoor ambush interviews, again, for the Church of Scientology's mm. lawyers, not that I'm saying this what it is, <laughs> it just looks like maybe it's that. Anyway, we can't help what it looks like. Anyway, we're showing a bunch of people titled psychiatrists from around the world saying what amounts to what looks like. Clips taken out of context.
1: It did kind of remind me of like a Ray Comfort video in this regard. Just Wait, are you kidding, really, Brent? Man. You peel Ambushed. the outer
2: layer what? of skin of the, banana, of the banana man, and there's only pure truth inside. <laughs> and your recommended oh, daily intake of potassium. Oh,
0: if, if there's that's... anything I know about the truth, it's full of potassium.
2: <laughs> yes,
1: that can be said for sure.
2: The documentary narrator says they were asked about the scientific basis of their profession. One person just labeled Psychiatrist Norway says, We're not good at causes. <laughs> We don't know, we don't know what, co- what causes mental illness.
0: I also like uh, Norway has an official psychiatrist. I, that, the, that's yeah. the way they're
2: labeled. It's just <laughs> like, for example, the next one is labeled psychiatrist Germany. Oh, cool. Oh, wow.
1: Perfect.
0: Yeah.
2: And he says psychiatric illness is not really an illness. And it appears from his accent that the man's first language isn't English. And he puts stress on the word really, which again makes it seem like maybe they took him out of context. Another man maybe. labeled psychiatrist United States says, "Yeah, a cure is so- cool. woo, woo A cure is something we <laughs> certainly look forward to and have no earthly idea how to accomplish." The documentary mm. narrator says, "All these are just quote excuses, or maybe they're just <laughs> honest responses to a complex topic taken out of context." You know, I'm I'm just saying maybe that's what's going on here, guys.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe, and I and I, I mean, as someone who works in philosophy philosophy is just full of people saying, well, it doesn't really exist. <laughs> and no one's at all comfortable, but it's something we say because we don't know what else to say to the normies who don't work in philosophy. <laughs> so I can also see that kind of going on here where, you know, you're just trying to get to work and you're trying to just get these annoying Scientologists off your back and just like, well, eh, 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 you know, lots of hedge work going on. Exactly. Also, I hope that I hope the Psychiatrist United States is my psychiatrist because if they're not, I don't know who I've been seeing this whole time.
1: <laughs> the waitlist, the waitlist is huge for that guy. He just it takes oh, forever to get God, in. Yeah. United States psychiatrist.
2: And so the rest of this part of the video is what appears to be pure appeal to emotion on part of the documentary producers, showing interview clips of people who believe they and their loved ones were wronged by psychiatrists and pharmaceuticals. And so, on, by the way, on a serious note, we're not saying here that nobody has ever been the victim of shitty psychiatrists or adverse side effects of pharmaceuticals, or there's no such thing as overprescription of drugs, et cetera, et cetera. I just want to be clear about that. We're not saying that.
1: Come on. There, no, no, it no. must be all or nothing. All or nothing. Oh, no nuance okay. ever. I'm sorry. That's I forgot about way, yeah. that's, make that's 2019 <laughs>
2: that 2019 mindset. All or nothing. There's nothing <laughs> in between. <laughs>
0: In also, I mean, I'll throw I'll throw one out there for the uh, listeners. Uh, I, I, you know, a lot of psychiatric prescription is kind of is trial and error. Yep, because different medicines work for better for different people. It's no different than over the counter pain medications. Some people, when they get headaches, Advil works for some people. Leave or Tylenol, and so there is a lot of guesswork. And so I initially took Abilify and Latuda were the two medications I originally tried. And it was really awful, <laughs> you know, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Just the, the bone crushing fatigue that I experienced. So, yeah, I mean, so there's definitely adverse side effects. And not to only that, prescriptions. It's,
2: it's funny that you say that, Dylan. I don't uh, there's a part in the documentary. I don't remember exactly where, but they are talking to psychiatrists again. And one of the psychiatrists says. A lot of it's trial and error, and the documentary portrays that as if
3: gotcha. Ha, ha,
2: ha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, anyway, I guess, you know, it's, it's not really a
0: gotcha, maybe.
2: Anyway, so I guess Bart- I'm just,
0: or, you know, no, or, or we're just dumb and we yeah, don't understand how that dumb. is the worst that's, thing in the, in the entire world.
2: We're just what? dumb. Our thetan levels are way off. All right. So, oh, Lord, <laughs> going to part two Origins of Psychiatry. The video goes on to what appears to be defamation of William Batty, an eminent psychiatrist from 18th century Britain. The video starts with mm. the horrors of early insane asylums, particularly Bethlehem Royal Hospital in London, or as it's more derogatorily referred to,
0: Bedlam. According to the video narrator.
3: <laughs> yeah, we know hopefully. how evil London is. <laughs> sorry.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's where the British Persian yeah. Babylonian oligarchy is based. Exactly. We already
1: <laughs> know this. Of course they
3: invented psychiatry. <laughs> so according to the
2: video's narrator
3: patty's madhouse made him one of the richest men in england though his treatments were every bit as inhumane as those practiced in bedlam with not a single patient cured his financial success triggered a boom in the asylum business (laughs) and an opportunity for psychiatrists to cash in on
1: this new growth industry. Wow, asylums were a booming business. I guess that required a lot of asylum seekers, am I right? <laughs> uh, no? No? <laughs> oh, no, sorry. <laughs> oh,
0: oh, oh. Speaking uh, of category sorry. errors, <laughs> anyway. Oh man, that's <laughs> why it's hard it's hard to build the wall when you have to build it inside. I mean, I guess they did build the wall. I mean, that's yeah. what asylums are, just building the wall.
2: Build that bedlam, build that bedlam. All right, so John Beard, writing in the peer-reviewed British Medical Journal, has a slightly different take on Batty. Quote, a number of Batty's convictions stand out. He promoted the idea that mentally ill people should not be detained just to protect patients and society. Moreover, patients could derive direct therapeutic benefit from spending time in a psychiatric institution. In contrast to much skepticism regarding the curability of mental illness, Batty asserted that madness was as manageable as any other distempers. Finally, Batty proposed a division of madness into original and consequential illness, forerunners to the organic and functional terms used to this
0: day. What a fucking sadist. God. (laughs) Can't even stand it.
2: Truly sick fuck. All right. Part three, man redefined. This part of the documentary goes over how psychiatrists have drained the soul of humanity, so to speak. The dastardly behaviorists are brought up, including Pavlov, Watson, and
0: Skinner. I mean, just to, just to clarify, um, they are dastardly, and yes. they were wrong.
2: Oh, yeah. And I don't know about you guys, but whenever I hear the word behaviorism, I start salivating at the deliciousness of man being reduced to a mere grab bag of conditioned reflexes.
1: Oh. Uh, you, you actually had me a grab bag. So, <laughs> grab
0: bags are nice.
3: Let's just. Of B.F. Skinner, the narrator says, "Quote: For nearly a year, Skinner isolated his daughter in a box similar to those he built for rats." <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: god! <laughs> <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> a,
2: a certain Doctor Samuel Blumenfeld, who simply labeled author and educator. Elucidates further. Quote, but
1: what country is he from? But what country is he from? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we got to know.
2: <laughs> author and educator of the world. No, so he elucidates. Oh, okay,
0: got it. True He's one of those stateless psychiatrists. Who cares what he has to say?
2: <laughs> so Samuel elucidates, quote, the child was stimulated and had to respond in a certain way, like a chicken or a rat in a cage. Of course, they firmly believe that children are animals. If you believe, though, that a child is a human being, you can't train them like a rat.
1: Or, hey, rat children lives matter. Come on. This is offensive. <laughs> yeah. In all seriousness,
0: if I can quote Sean Hannity, this is big if true. <laughs> so, yeah, this, this Dr. Skinner guy, I mean, I know, you know, I know that his views are false, but he also seems like a real scumbag. <laughs> this is terrible. Oh, yeah. So
2: but here's at least the thing, he inspired
1: though. Smashing Pumpkin song. Sorry. Now,
0: yes, I
2: obviously Skinner sounds like a true scumbag if you just watch his documentary. But Snows had a somewhat different take on this allegation. "Quote: When Skinner's second daughter Deborah was born in 1944, Skinner, who then lived in Minnesota, constructed an alternative type of crib for her that was something like a large version of a hospital incubator—a tall box with a door at its base and a glass window in front. This baby tender." as Skinner called it, provided Deborah with a place to sleep and remain comfortably warm throughout the severe Minnesota winters without having to be wrapped in numerous layers of clothing and blankets and developing the attendant rashes. Deborah slept in her novel crib until she was two and a half years old and by all accounts grew up to be a happy, healthy, thriving child. The trouble began in October 1945 when the magazine Ladies Home Journal ran an article by Skinner about his baby tender, the article featured a picture of Deborah in a portable and therefore smaller version of the box. Her hands pressed against the glass under the headline baby in a box. People who didn't read the article carefully or who merely glanced at the picture or heard about the article from someone else but didn't read it themselves confused the baby tender with a Skinner box, even though the article clearly explained oh, yeah. that the baby tender was something quite different. <laughs> and the funniest part about this is that this very picture is shown in the documentary. And indeed the baby looks totally happy despite the spooky background music.
1: <laughs> the story is probably the inspiration of a Seinfeld episode B- bubble boy. Let's be honest. Obviously. Yeah. It's a very, I mean, uh,
0: also, I mean, let's also be very clear that we all know that there's no such thing as happiness. That's some, you know, that's a spooky mental attribute. You know, the baby yeah. had, a, you know, had a certain facial, Uh, configuration and the baby's hands were in a certain position, but that's all we can say. That's all there is to it
2: Yep. for all you behaviorists out there.
0: We want to be scientific.
2: There's only behavior. All right. So anyway, chapter four, psychiatry, the men behind the Holocaust. I would have thought the Nazi party was mainly the men behind the Holocaust, but hey, so this part largely goes over eugenics, which is a hugely complicated topic. I'm not going to sit here and pretend there's nothing wrong with the history of eugenics and its undeniable influence on Nazi ideology, but I'm not going to pretend it's simply synonymous with Nazism either. So this Wikipedia excerpt on eugenics sums up my attitude pretty well. I'd say, quote, a major criticism of eugenics policies is that regardless of whether negative or positive policies are used, by the way, negative and positive are actually technical terms in that case. They are susceptible to abuse because the genetic selection criteria are determined by whichever group has political power at the time. End quote. So I share this criticism and that's why I'd say in a very broad sense, I'm against eugenics policies or at least eugenics policies as enacted by the state.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I only support local organic genics personally, but it's oh yeah, <laughs> my own stance. Yeah.
2: yeah. You know, I believe any city should have vested within them the power to create their own elite force of superhumans and commanded by <laughs> Khan Nunyan Singh, of course. <laughs>
0: yeah, what could go wrong? Nothing could go wrong. Ask Kirk. Okay, so... Khan, I mean, Khan is really the psychiatrist of the future. I mean, let's just be clear. And the Federation is run by the CCHR, I guess. That's probably how they see themselves, frankly. Watch you too much Star Trek.
2: But of course, even pri- private eugenics practice has its issues. I'm not so sure it's a good idea that the super rich can breed their children to be supermodels that have 190 IQs while the rest of us are segregated in virtual
1: idiocracy. Ah, VI. VI will be the future of VR, which is just inevitable. <laughs>
2: and the category errors continue. So anyway.
1: Yes.
0: The only way we'll be able to go to Carl's Jr. is via Oculus Rift. <laughs> That's just the way it's going to be. I mean, that's, I mean, when we run out of burrito coverings, we'll just, you know, throw on the VR headset and there's going to be plenty (laughs) of uh, burrito coverings there. (laughs) Around three
2: minutes and 45 seconds in, a certain Dr. Craig Noons says, quote, something like 40% of German psychiatrists had joined the SS by 1933. They weren't forced into the SS. They just joined it naturally because the beliefs were very, very similar, end quote. And while I couldn't verify this particular claim with the help of Google, there's no doubt that many German psychiatrists acted as monsters under the Nazis T4 program. Oh, and if you want to know more about the T4 program, a and a disease disguised as a president and his ambitions to bring the <laughs> T4 back into vogue, I suggest listening to our four-part Lyndon LaRouge series.
0: Yes, there's plenty to learn there about how Obama is totally Hitler. Yes. <laughs> also, I just I just wanted to um mention one other thing about this quote. This idea that people were just allowed to naturally join the SS is a bit of a misnomer. If the SS were like, you qualify to be part of the SS, you join the SS. It's a bit like, you know, I didn't, he didn't force, I wasn't forced to give him my wallet. He pointed a gun at me and I voluntarily <laughs> gave him my wallet. So, I mean, that alone is a bit suspect in how this is described. Sure. Oh, I
2: I was under the impression that in totalitarian societies, everything was voluntary.
0: I know. I know (laughs) it's easy to believe that nowadays with Bolsonaro and Trump, but it turns out they like telling people what to do. It's kind of strange. (laughs) Wow.
2: So Holocaust scholar Michael Berenbaum
0: appears in this
2: section of the documentary. So obviously he agrees with the CCHR's underlying message, right? Well, here's what he had to say about psychiatrists, according to the now defunct Tampa Tribune, quote, I have known psychiatrists to be of an enormous assistance to people deeply important to me in my life. Sell out. Arthur Kaplan, bioethicist of the University of Pennsylvania, told the Tampa Tribune of his experience in the taping of the documentary, quote, they completely bamboozled me. They basically taped me without really disclosing who they were and wh- what they intended to do.
0: Ah, those so. meddling kids. Yeah. That's oh, man. And he's like a bioethicist, so he would know if that was a moral or not. <laughs> he's the expert. <laughs>
2: So um, chapter five, psychiatry, creating racism,
0: alleges a lot of outrageous <laughs> racist psychiatric I like abuse. how they they caused the Holocaust before they created racism. <laughs> yes. That seems seems the wrong this way around. Three.
1: This should really be chapter three. And then yeah, I, it seems yeah, like once really. you
0: got the racism going, the Holocaust is pretty easy. This is just kind of yeah. this is through. the
2: revision. This is the revisionist history where um, <laughs> Nazism rose before racism.
0: <laughs> I want I want to have the anti anti psychiatry documentary that agrees about the psychiatry, but no, they're wrong about how psychiatry is evil. (laughs) (laughs) So,
2: of course, in in this part of the documentary. It's there's it's questionable of whether or not everything alleged here is true. I didn't look up every claim, but Mm, Dylan already went over some certifiably racist psychiatric ideas in the last episode. So I don't think we need to discuss anything further except reaffirm the hideousness of these ideas.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Chapter
2: six, Soviet psychiatry. This part goes over. This is the good one. uh, Yeah, this is. Yeah, yeah, the, the only good psychiatry. This part goes over the deplorable <laughs> Soviet regime and how they would lock up people under the pretense of mental illness for purely political reasons. And again, obviously it goes without saying this was grotesque and needs no further comment. And guys, so far, the only thing I agree with with this documentary on is that the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany were really bad. I mean, wow, how brave of uh, them to point out this obvious thing I learned in first grade.
1: Make America go to first grade again. <laughs> mm, it is strong. good
0: to review. I think it is yeah. good. You know, from time to time to review our most basic commitments and to just yeah, like, like Nazi Germany, you know, I think they're bad. But are they? Oh, yeah, <laughs> they are. Yeah. Okay, let's do good. a deep dive. It's good to remind again. ourselves. Yep. Yeah. Like once a year, just go back. Make sure they are bad.
1: Was the gulag really that bad? Eh. Sorry.
2: Chapter seven, brain damage, psychiatry's miracle cure. So this part <laughs> is also something we've covered in the last episode. Electroshock therapy, lobotomies, insulin shock, metrazole, et cetera. While a lot of this stuff might seem totally barbaric and horrific by today's standards, it should be noted that they were actually genuinely progressive ideas at the time, as well as the precursors to the kinds of highly effective treatments we have today. Take this from the University of Utah. Quote, For patients with the crippling diagnosis of severe depression, bipolar disorder, or psychosis, electroconvulsive therapy, ECT, can be a life-changing procedure. Not only does it work better than medications, according to Howard Weeks, MD, medications have a success rate of 50-60% to of patients getting better, while ECT succeeds at a rate of 70-90%. to It works faster. Medications typically take up to 8 weeks to show improvement. Quoting Weeks, With ECT, I can get them feeling better in 2 weeks or less. It can also be very effective in patients for whom multiple medications have failed. And when it comes to suicidality, its effectiveness can mean the difference between life and death. So, yeah, again, mm. it's like electroshock therapy had its issues, especially when they first brought it up. If you look at how far it's come, you can see that it's not as it's not as if every it was just barbaric and ended there is what I'm trying to say.
0: So are you telling me I shouldn't judge psychiatric practices based on Hollywood movies starring Jack Nicholson? Is that <laughs> what you're trying to tell me?
2: Um, I'm trying to tell you. I don't you know if I can get on board with that. It, yeah, I'm trying to tell you it's it's probably better to, you know, broaden your horizons there. That's all.
0: So maybe also Bollywood movies, maybe different types of film industry. <laughs> I mean, I Musicals. think there should just be a straight up
2: um, subgenre in film called lobotomy films. I think that would be the best thing. To do.
1: <laughs> hey, also, I'm I'm noticing sort of a bias, a bias here from, you know, Dr. Weeks. He's talking about medications not working, you know, in a week or two. You know, he's yep. See, he's using uh his last name's Weeks. Get it? Get it? See, he's, oh, he's got a I bias. Oh, finally...
0: I thought... Yeah. yeah, I thought you were saying he was in the big... Po- he was in the pocket of big electricity, which I can also <laughs> believe. It saying. sounds like he
2: is. It oh, sounds like Oh, his brother he runs
0: the local utility? Oh, how interesting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, the thing that needs to be made clear for someone in order to grasp how such seemingly barbaric practices as lobotomies could possibly be seen in a positive light... Is found in the proper context. As Dr. E. fuller Torrey writes in reviewing the book Mad in America by Robert Whitaker, a man who incidentally appears in this documentary, quote, The first half of the book recounts the history of psychiatric treatment in America until 1950. This was the era of Benjamin Rush's spinning chair, eugenics, forced sterilization, the removal of teeth, and lobotomies. It is a sad history. Nowhere does Whitaker acknowledge that these approaches to treatment were measures of desperation in desperate times. The nation's overcrowded psychiatric wards were filled with continuously increasing numbers of very psychiatrically ill patients for whom no effective treatments were available.
1: But, you know, on a positive note, they had a lot of excess teeth on hand now, and so, you know, the business of the big tooth fairy industry is booming, so that's always good. (laughs) Tooth
0: fairy, man. Yeah, I, I think this is a super good point. I mean, one thing I know to take... Just one example is the history of alcoholism and how it was thought that when somebody becomes an alcoholic, there was just nothing to be done. That if you became an alcoholic, you just had to go into basically like hospice care, which is very different compared to nowadays where we, we feel that it's very difficult, but there are at least viable treatment options for alcoholics and other addicts. And so if you multiply that for all the psychiatric conditions that we just did not know how to handle, the psychiatrists were just grasping at straws, trying to desperately help these people. And it's really disgusting to insinuate that they were just barbaric proto-Nazis just trying to force their will onto these poor people. And,
2: you know, psychology, psychiatry is actually relatively very new, um, science and especially Mm, modern psychiatry is extremely new. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's this ridiculous idea that, um, that you can just cherry pick things that don't seem very nice and then just put that out there out of, out of context and then, you know, use that to try to smear it, the whole thing, you know? Exactly. So chapter eight, drugging for profit.
0: Here we go. Here's the truth. Yeah. finally. Here we go.
2: This part is largely centered around the conspiracy theory that psychiatrists are all in it for the money by pushing the fraud known as
1: the myth of chemical imbalance. Mm. Is that just like unbalanced chemical equations? No. Again, Brent, these are more category errors. You got to <laughs> balance those redox reaction equations. I'm gonna keep doing you it. You know
0: what? Your category errors are so bad at this
1: point. <laughs> I hey, think that you need to theme. start reading
2: some more Zaws. Seriously.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you need you need some Riley and therapy. I think that's what needs to happen. <laughs> That's the kind of psychiatrist you need to see. I'm prescribing
2: Brent the Wittgenstein's philosophical investigations and you need to read the whole thing cover to cover five times a night, at least for a week. Got it. All right. It's the only thing that's going to help. Yes. Get rid of those category errors and nonsense words. (laughs) The narrator
3: tells us, quote, with so much money to be made, all psychiatrists needed was a scientific theory to justify it. Their solution An official report declaring that all mental problems derive from a so-called chemical imbalance in the brain, requiring drugs to correct. Now, I don't want to levy the accusation that the narrator is creating a straw man.
2: I'm just saying it really, really sounds like he is. For instance, take this from a Healthline article. Quote, it's often said that mental disorders such as depression and anxiety are caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain. The hypothesis is something called the chemical imbalance hypothesis or chemical imbalance theory. In fact, it's been largely refuted by the medical community. Researchers argue that the chemical imbalance hypothesis is more of a figure of speech. It doesn't really capture the true complexity of these disorders. In other words, mental disorders aren't simply caused by chemical imbalances in the brain. There's a lot more to them, end quote. What? One a shocker. I,
3: There's More yeah, to it than that.
2: One thing that I found amusing is that the report that's featured in the documentary is forthright in this uncertainty, with the words flash across the screen, quote, all depressions are associated, my emphasis, <laughs> with a deficiency of chemicals in the brain. And quote, the hypothesis could not be directly testable. They actually <laughs> flash this across the screen. <laughs> And so for psychiatrists just wanting to stuff their pockets full of cash at all costs, I think they could have done with less ambiguity in their claims
1: here, wouldn't you say? Yeah, exactly. Uh, They're just in the pocket of big ambiguity, so (laughs) (laughs) it's all. all The one
0: thing, it's really hard to become a psychiatrist. And what I never get about a lot of these conspiracy theories where they just do it for the money, there are far easier ways to make money. Than to become a psychiatrist, spend years and years in school, and get all (laughs) sorts of debt to go to you know undergrad and then medical school, and then you have to become a resident and do all of this nonsense just to make a couple extra bucks by tricking people? Why not just become a regular doctor? There's all (laughs) sorts of ways to make money. This doesn't make any sense.
2: Or just become a con artist. Like there's many ways, much better ways
1: to just make or just become a
0: regular doctor. Or that. That's all you need to do. They're making plenty of money.
1: I wonder who makes more money. These the, the selfish psychiatrists or the climate scientists, because they're both just in it for the money. Up there. Ooh, that's hard. That's right. Yeah. Climate science depends on if booming. the government
0: is the is the liberal government occupy is the liberal occupied government, the log, if you will. Are they directly funding the psychiatrists the way they are the climate scientists? I yes. think that's really the question. We got to get one day really go
2: deep into the skullduggery of big psychiatry. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll have to look into the uh, the black budgets. That's where you find, yes. that's where all this uh, money comes from. CIA black budget.
2: Chapter nine, psychiatric coercion and restraint. Dr. Jeffrey Chalair appears again to tell us, quote, when you go to a real doctor, say a family doctor or cardiologist, a patient always has the right to refuse treatment. So there's no such thing as involuntary treatment when it comes to clinical medicine as practiced by real doctors. Psychiatrists, of course, believe that people can be treated against their will. Now, I know we went over in the last episode how early psychiatry was over-reliant on involuntary treatment. But as Dylan alluded to before, these days we have almost the opposite problem. So Dylan, would you Mm -hmm. like to uh, maybe shed light on that?
0: Yeah, so just to uh, recap from last episode, also our episode on mass incarceration, we went from, in the 1950s, over 500,000 involuntary committed patients to now only 22,000. That's all we have. There were over the the decades, like generally starting in the 60s and 70s, a lot of these asylums were defunded. They were just looking for ways to save money. The s- state governments didn't want to pay for them anymore. There were also just advocacy. I mean, there were problems. There were people who advocated for psychiatric patients And eventually, also, mental illness became part of the Americans with Disabilities Act in the 90s, if I'm not mistaken. It was ruled that that was part of that. And so, in fact, there are fewer people who are involuntary committed who probably should be. And what we've seen is a reduction in involuntary commitment and an increase in homelessness. And so that is really disturbing. what we're looking at. It's not, again, it's not as though... Hey, we freed these people and they're all great is just not the reality of the situation. Right. It's almost like they were involuntarily committed for their own benefit. No, what a weird,
3: no, no way. I know
0: that's hard to understand, but I think that might be the case. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm um, going to quote
2: blown. you on that, Dylan, and I'm going to make a meme and put it on libertarian um, message boards and Twitter <sighs> no, feeds no, and no. you will be destroyed, sir. The Ron Paul, bots uh, are coming I'm, for you.
0: I'm, I'm gonna finally lose my social media hegemony challenge to oh, go yeah. knock me into second and third place by memes. <laughs> Fucking memes,
2: man. So, according to treatmentadvocacycenter.org, quote, three forms of involuntary treatment are authorized by civil commitment laws in forty-six states and the District of Columbia. Two forms are available in Connecticut, Maryland, Massachusetts, and Tennessee, where court ordered outpatient treatments has not yet been adopted. So Emergency hospitalization for evaluation is a crisis response in which a patient is admitted to a treatment facility for psychiatric evaluation, typically for a short period of fixed time, e.g. 72 hours. Psychiatric hold or pickup in other terms may be used to describe the process. Inpatient civil commitment is a process in which a judge orders hospital treatment for a person who continues to meet the state's civil commitment criteria after emergency evaluation period. Inpatient commitment is practiced in all states, but the standards that qualify an individual for it vary from state to state. Involuntary hospitalization, or another term, may be used to describe the practice. And outpatient civil commitment, or assisted outpatient treatment, AOT, is a treatment option in which a judge orders a qualifying person with symptoms of mental illness to adhere to a mental health treatment plan while living in the community. AOT laws have been passed in 46 states, but the standards for its use vary from state to state. Outpatient commitment, involuntary outpatient commitment, mandated outpatient treatment, and other terms may be used to describe the practice.
0: All very barbaric. Mm -hmm. Clearly. All of those descriptions and categories. Uh... It's all a smokescreen.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds to me that it's just all a bunch of arbitrary detention In like some Kafka-esque Yeah, that is what it is.
0: All these hip, cool people are just trying to live beyond the dictates of society. And they're all getting (laughs) locked up. For money. That's all it is. For the money. For the money.
1: That's right.
2: So in the documentary at this point, Zaz himself comes on the screen to tell us, quote, How many people go to an insane asylum and say, please lock me up? Doctors don't lock up anybody. Psychiatrists lock you up. That's Ooh. yep. That's true. They take
1: you right to the cell, take that single key off their giant keychain, and slam the door shut. You're you're in there forever. Exactly <laughs> that's the way it is. No reality. one has
0: ever voluntarily gone to a psychiatrist. Right. Period. <laughs> so,
2: um, Chalair comes back to give us this tidbit: quote, involuntary commitment is a form of psychiatric slavery where persons are treated oh, as if they're property, and they are deprived of liberty. And people are making money in the process. Oh, God, that is evil.
1: And since we've learned that psychiatrists say everyone has a mental illness, that's why the nope. prison population br- don't, is... Don't, don't, like, br-
2: don't, hey, Brent, 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 don't put words in their mouth. Almost right. everyone. Almost everyone.
1: <laughs> Good point. So that's why the population is yeah. at 99.9% currently with psychiatrists locking even themselves up. Because, um, you know, they have <laughs> oh, yeah. psychiatrists within yourself. So you, we should probably have covered this on the <laughs> none dare call news episode of mass incarceration myths, but we uh, went past this. Yeah,
0: I like how they're principled. Yeah, they're locking themselves That's up. Right. They're <laughs> applying their evil money grabbing principles to themselves. It's just like you said. <laughs> it's good to it, see.
2: It's just like you said. Hitler was principled for killing himself for the T four program.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like one more to go. <laughs> oh, <man>. Okay. <laughs> So a
2: sizable portion of this segment seemingly implies that psychiatric kidnappings, abuses, and torture are routine occurrences. Now, again, I'm not going to say there's never been a case of in, of involuntary commitment slash treatment that wasn't a serious curtailment of civil liberties, nor that no serious abuses have ever been perpetrated in psychiatric
0: institutions, etc. And we've we talked about at least one case in our last episode. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely been... Yeah. Violations of civil liberties via involuntary commitment. I demand perfection.
2: Right. But, you know, but here's the thing, guys. On the whole, mentalillnesspolicy.org paints a slightly different and less alarming picture.
0: All these slightly different pictures. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the blurrier the picture, the more
2: clear it is. Quote, having a law does not mean a state makes use of it. Very few states make use of involuntary outpatient commitment um, laws. When inpatient commitment is used, Most states still rely on the, quote, dangerousness standard, and rarely use other standards they have available to them. Further, dangerous is often interpreted very narrowly to mean imminently dangerous. So what does this term dangerousness mean? According to Yale University psychiatrist Brandy Lee, dangerousness is a situational concept not necessarily intrinsic to the person. So it's very possible that someone can have latently dangerous delusions or beliefs, but find themselves in a current situation in which they pose no danger, or at least no immediate danger. Speaking of the leader of the free world, Lee says, quote, I'm assessing dangerousness, which is about the situation, not the person. If Mr. Trump were not in the office of the presidency, he may not be dangerous. So, <laughs> roughly speaking, Trump boasting he has the biggest nuclear button on Twitter wouldn't be dangerous if it weren't for the fact that he's in charge of an actual nuclear arsenal.
1: <laughs> Come on, that's such a small detail for us. Don't forget, too, you suffer from TDS, which is the only known mental illness I've ever seen. So.
0: Oh, that's true. Yep. I need to get that yep. medicated. Stat. All right. Get on the Ron Paul websites. Yeah. You really, what you have is APDS, anti-psychiatry mm. derangement syndrome. It's really, <laughs> you should have psychiatry derangement syndrome. That's the only one you should have.
2: So chapter 10, psychiatric criminality alleges various incidents of fraud, sexual abuse, drug abuse, lies, etc., perpetrated by psychiatrists. The narrator says of one truly despicable child rapist, psychiatrist C. Markham Berry, quote,
3: This is not an isolated incident. It is the carefully masked character of many members of this profession. In every country throughout the world, you can well find psychiatrists committing rape, sexual abuse, murder, and fraud.
1: You know, I I was wondering why my psychiatrist had plaques displayed on his wall in his office that just said, a doctorate in rape, sexual abuse, murder, and fraud. (laughs) I I guess you just need to display your expertise, you know, just got to make sure people know. (laughs)
0: See, I I don't like this. I mean, I think we should make it illegal for psychiatrists to commit these crimes. I
1: think that's really the key. Wait a minute. I think that might help.
2: It might. The CCHR website specifically alleges, quote, With studies showing an average of 6-10% to 10% of psychiatrists and psychologists sexually abusing their patients, including children as young as 3, Um, CCHR is encouraging victims of such abuse to contact it and speak out. The sexual crimes committed by psychiatrists are estimated at 37 times greater than rapes occurring in the general community. One U.S. law firm stated, estimating that about 150,000 female patients have been assaulted.
1: Wait, wait, wait. I'm just remembering. Was my psychiatrist sexually abusing children? Holy shit. That does make sense now because, you know, I was wondering why my psychiatrist's office was in a pizza parlor. I wasn't... Sure, but Ooh, I went there anyway. And,
0: that is the tell. Yep.
2: That's they a, big a basement, tell. I think. The problem is, if you go to the pizza parlor slash child sex ring headquarters mm-hmm. um, to go see a psychiatrist, make sure you bring your AR-15, of course, oh, because we all yeah, know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Level the playing field.
0: <laughs> yeah. And order their pepperoni wow.
1: pizza. It's pretty good, too.
0: Just remember that it isn't illegal for them to kill you, um, so... <laughs> You just have to take your life in your own hands at that point, And you might, you might have to go to jail, sadly, to defend Dillon yourself.
2: Dylan says, psychiatrists, unfortunately, ex- exists outside the law and we got to yeah. rein them in here.
0: <laughs> it's terrible.
2: So the reference of speaking of the law, we have, you know, we have this, the reference to this allegation takes you to a certain Beasley firm LLC website, which states, quote, psychiatrists account for approximately 6% of all doctors, yet they are responsible for 33% of all the inappropriate sexual assaults committed in the medical field. Even more frightening is the fact that those sexual crimes committed by psychiatrists are 37 times greater than rapes occurring in the general community. In the United States, it is estimated that approximately 150,000 females have been sexually abused by their psychiatrists. Psychiatrists themselves indicate that 65% of their new patients inform them that previous psychiatrists have sexually abused them. So, right, so it checks yeah, out. It all checks out. We got yep, the yep. source. Well, so here's the thing. Where did this law firm find this information? Surprise, there's no citation. It's simply <laughs> oh, stated without man. evidence. Man. So I tried Googling for any evidence of these allegations and could find nothing. So <laughs> oh. if any listeners can find any evidence of these claims, please email us at none dare ordinary at gmail dot com, but I won't hold my breath.
1: Well, Forrest, yeah, you won't hold yeah. your breath because you're not a breatharian, first off. And uh why why are you always trying no. to subjugate us to the tyranny of citations? You know, just be, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. You
2: know. I'm sorry. Bunch of malarkey. <laughs> Whenever I read extraordinary claims, I should not try to find out if extraordinary evidence backs them up. I think that's
0: that's the key. You should just believe the last thing you read. And that's how you can have consistent beliefs. Perfect.
2: I agree. Chapter 11, inventing mental illness, spends a lot of time trashing the DSM. So we've talked about the DSM in detail in the last episode. I leave it to our highly intelligent audience to pick up a copy of the DSM-5 and a used copy, emphasis on used copy, of L. Ron Hubbard's Dianetics. And then you decide what you think is the superior piece of scientific literature. And let us know your
0: verdict. And just um, make sure you don't overpay for Dianetics. So I found a used copy for 50 cents and I'm still kicking myself to this day. (laughs) a little too
1: much savers you can find them there and they're like two bucks two fifty that's way too much don't don't buy it from savers or maybe goodwill is probably the best bet
0: i don't want to be a psychiatrist and advocate that you commit a crime but it might be a good idea to just steal it i i don't i don't want to say it i'm just that might be something you could do I mean, let's put it this way. I mean, L. Ron Hubbard
2: wanted to spread his word of truth to the world, right? And it's kind of like, you know, those Gideon Bibles that you find in hotel rooms where you can kind of take them out and take them home with you. And the Gideon's kind of like that, you know, that it's the same Mm -hmm. kind of thing, maybe. So (laughs) we're not saying you should steal a book ever. But if you're going to steal a book. Maybe it should be Dianetics. That's all I'm saying. But we are not advocating that.
1: Do you guys remember that book in this? What was that book that was written in the 60s was it by Abby Hoffman? Like steal this book or something. Is it, do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I remember looking it up and it was like negative one. Like it, someone like literally just stole it. <laughs> and they're like, well, that makes. there you go. It's the way you the told them to do
2: it. it. In this section, there's also a lot of interview clips with psychiatrists seeming to admit that their own profession is all bunk. And again, I'm not saying the editors of this documentary misleadingly took their comments
0: out of context, but it sure looks like they did. I, it yeah. appears. I mean, again, we are dilettantes here. And yes. so we don't have the correct observational abilities that the editors of this fine documentary do. Uh, and so it just exactly. looks like this way to us. That's all. We got to just admit it. I think the
1: filmmakers are just suffering from disingenuitis, which is in the DSM-5, I think. Mm, so just more over Yep.
0: Over diagnosing, yeah. <laughs> trying to medicalize their stupidity. I won't stand for it. Hey, guys, here's one thing. If psychiatrists routinely
2: commit crimes and lie all the time in the service of profit, why are they admitting, quote unquote, admitting on camera that their profession is bullshit? I mean, wouldn't it simply be better to proclaim psychiatry as infallible? <laughs> After all, L. Ron Hubbard himself wasn't sheepish about how amazing Scientology is, quote, Scientology is used to increase spiritual freedom, intelligence, ability, and to produce immortality.
0: Oh, Oh, man. Cool.
1: Subtle and humble. Perfect. We'll
0: see the difference between psychiatry and Scientology is all those claims are true about Scientology. Oh, yeah, Yeah, definitely
1: immortality. I mean, L.
0: Ron Hubbard is still alive and well, right? Only Wiley Brooks is (laughs) capable of bestowing immortality. That's true. Frankly. That is true. (laughs) So.
2: Chapter Twelve: Kids in Psychiatry's <laughs> Crosshairs. This not section, most kids, <laughs> I know. This section mostly focuses on ADHD and alleged overprescription of Adderall and Ritalin to children. Again, there's some serious debate about overly prescribing certain drugs, and then the various influence of pharmaceutical companies on policy, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what's not up for debate? What? The unethical nature of misleading video editing. Mm. And at about. Two minutes and 45 seconds in, we're shown footage from the 1998 National Institute of Health Consensus Development Conference. A certain Mark Vonnegut is asked to describe ADHD symptomatology. A clock is shown on the screen. Vonnegut begins, quote, there are, uh, I mean, I think the panel has been frank and, you know, the difficulties here are are immense in terms of, um, uh, these, I mean, it is hard. It is very hard to know the answer to this question. The clock and footage then fast forwards a few minutes and we hear him say, quote, they're, um, they cannot, you know, even when, um, uh, they are as if driven by a mode. There are some good clinical descriptions. The clock and footage (laughs) fast forward yet again, and we hear, quote, and I think you know we uh I do I think part of the problem is the profession keeps changing the diagnosis. Oh,
3: so man. I don't want so I don't want to
2: disparage the character of the people that put together this documentary. But maybe it's not quite ethical to put a clip together, mostly of someone's crutch words and brain farts and pretend that it's representative (laughs) of what they're actually trying to say.
1: You know what they should have done is they should have (laughs) given him a beard and made it just as he gets older and older. It's just like he's just aging and they just like, oh, "Um, I just. no. (laughs)
0: It It took this psychiatrist 127 (laughs) years to finally cough up a description (laughs) of this apparent mental illness.
2: Would adding the CGI beard really be any more (laughs) disingenuous than what they already have? I mean,
0: why not? I also just like, oh, this uh, psychiatrist has social anxiety and isn't very good at speaking. Wow. Everything he said is false. (laughs) That's basically the argument. So I
2: wanted to, you know, find what Mark uh, Vonnegut actually had to say, but I couldn't find a transcript or original video of this conference. But I did Mm. find the National Institute of Health's original statement on it. Among the conference's conclusion is the following, quote, There are wide variations in the use of psychostimulants across communities and physicians, suggesting no consensus regarding which ADHD patients should be treated with psychostimulants. These problems point to the need for improved assessment, treatment, and follow-up of patients with ADHD. A more consistent set of diagnostic procedures and practice guidelines is of utmost importance. Furthermore, The lack of insurance coverage preventing the appropriate diagnosis and treatment of ADHD and lack of integration with educational services are substantial barriers and represent considerable long-term cost for society. After years of clinical research and experience with ADHD, our knowledge about the cause or causes of ADHD remains largely speculative. Consequently, we have no documented strategies for the prevention of ADHD. So guys, I hate to belabor this point, but again... Why is it that psychiatrists are, on the one hand, ruthless criminals who will stop at nothing to fill their pockets with measly cash, and yet, on the other hand, are so incredibly careful and honest in discussing the uncertainties inherent in their profession? How My guess
0: is that, so, they're already dumb enough to try to get rich off of a real pain-in-the-ass job like being a psychiatrist, so if they're that stupid, they just don't know how to make money. They don't know how to do the grift. <laughs> they're just really bad con artists. That's my explanation. Uh, that's probably right. Chapter
2: 13, Psychiatry, the Hidden Influence. This section starts out with a video of psychiatrist Dr. Heinz Lehman saying, quote, Psychiatry should actually go into government, that politicians should listen to psychiatrists. Psychiatrists should be in every parliament and should direct and monitor political activities, end quote. And guys, in 2019 America, all I've got to say about that is, fuck yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. Bring it on.
2: The psychiatrist G. Brock Chisholm is quoted as saying, quote, To achieve world government, it is necessary to remove from the minds of men their individualism, loyalty to family institutions, national patriotism, and religious dogmas.
0: Oh so shit, that sounds real. That's bad. That sounds real incriminating. <laughs> exactly.
2: It's very just straight up too. But guys, here's <laughs> yeah. the thing. I searched Google for the origins of this quote and couldn't find anything credible, but some good folks at metabunk.org were kind enough to look into the origins of this quote as well. This was the conclusion of one member, quote, the majority of internet pages that provide a citation claim that the original quote comes from a lecture by Chisholm, published in a journal called Psychiatry in February 1946. The article slash lecture is called The Reestablishment of Peacetime Society, The Role of Psychiatry. I have searched the article fairly thoroughly, and I cannot find the quote. If this is its supposed source, the quote appears to be fabricated.
3: Mm -hmm. So here's the thing, guys.
2: Yep. I searched the article myself, too, and I couldn't find the quote either. Weird. You can... You can search it yourself if you like in the sources section of our website ww.nondarecallordinary.com.
1: Dude, give it the times, hmm. man. It's it's cool now to not use citations, to be elusive, to fabricate. It's twenty Whoa. it's twenty nineteen. Hello, yeah. we're fabrication nation. Embrace it. It's
0: good times. Really? I mean, I the only thing I can conclude is that you and this metabunk guy just suck at looking up citations. Oh, I'm not gonna believe that it's not there just because you said you couldn't find it, please. The Scientology documentary told me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so uh chapter 14 is called CCHR: Restoring Human Rights and Dignity to Mental Health. This part goes over how the CCHR's pure goodness and honesty is the obvious antidote to psychiatry's corruption and lies. And so now that I, your faithful podcast host, has taken it upon myself to endure this punishing documentary series so you didn't have to, I am clearly your savior and messiah. So I suggest you do everything I say. And if you want to be redeemed, (laughs) you can start by donating some Bitcoin to none dare call it a cult. I mean,
0: none dare call it ordinary. Yeah, there it is none ordinary.com slash donate not a Woo! cult not a definitely cult. not it's culty the clown and with that cult. this episode cult. we are done with part two of mental illness denialism so forrest brent what did you learn in this episode what most stuck out to you so
2: what i i believe um before i was officially on the podcast you guys did a none dare call it news um story where you talked about how certain employees at Facebook were hired to scrub Mm. Facebook of propaganda
0: conspiracy content, right? Yes, that's correct. Yes. And if I remember
2: correctly, some of those employees would start to actually get sucked into the documentary, like the claims of the documentaries that they were seeing, right? Wasn't that like a problem? That's correct.
0: I I think one of them was a flat earther. I think one also dabbled in 9-11 uh, conspiracy theories. So yeah, definitely.
2: Right. And so this is the first time I've ever even really watched a documentary. Well, will quote documentary and went into it trying to actually look up like almost every single claim made in it. And it's like, if you're not doing that, it's hard to see through the illusion of a well-produced documentary. And there is this like thing where if you just were to sit in front of the screen and watch this and not really go and look like go into it for really critical mindset, not just in looking up debunking facts, but even thinking in terms of context, whether or not something falls within a misleading context. Cause of course you can have a documentary of factoids, but they're put into the wrong context, et cetera. And then that could be misleading. If you're not going mm-hmm. at it into it with like a full on critical mindset, it's, I can see how it's easy, how this thing could just sh- kind of shut down your brain and you just absorb yeah. these factoids, and it can, be influ- it can be influential, I guess is what I'm saying, to somebody not going in with an extremely critical mindset.
0: Yeah, if it's well-produced, yes. that's usually a sign that the people who are making it are somewhat respectable. I think it's right. easy to confuse one for the other, but now it's easier and easier to make a well-produced quote-unquote documentary Right. that I think this is going to become a bigger and bigger problem.
2: One, one way that this kind of thing works is, for example, the section on um, the Holocaust is yeah, there was a lot of bad psychiatrists in Nazi Germany, for example, that did a lot of horrible things. And you could, and the thing is, you might like look at this documentary. So if I'm one of those Facebook employees, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to scrub these documentaries, I got to look at it. And then what you do is look at some factoids in it and then you go Google them and you find out, oh, there were these horrible psychiatrists that did this. There's something to this. You know, like I can see how.
0: Yeah, exactly. I can see how
2: people can be dragged into it. And again, it's not so much even debunking the individual claims. It's you also have to have a sense of history, a sense of how cults indoctrinate and brainwash people. You have to have a sense of, again, context. So. It really is kind of scary when you think about it. If you're not, you know, deeply trained, I guess, in some way or extremely experienced in some kind of critical thinking, then I can see how easy it could be to be dragged down into this stuff. I really can.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I was just going to say, I think it's probably wise to always, especially if it's something as big as, I don't know, all of psychiatry or climate change or whatever it is, climate science, like you should just err on the side of the known giant consensus you know just just for starters because i mean if you're getting a video exactly yeah exactly if you're getting a video that's showing you and there are these ads on here like there's a stamp ad that's like like they stamp social anxiety on this guy's face and then another ad that's like adhd and they hand him a pill it's like all this intense (laughs) ridiculousness um yeah it can kind of And every time they
0: stamp there's like a cash register sound it's
1: like oh really yeah wow okay there's like another one with a kid that goes sees a psychiatrist and then the, you know, the psychiatrist hands him like it looks like a, a prescription. And he goes to the, the doctor and he gets the thing, the bag and he goes to the home, he pulls it out and it's a gun. He points it to his head. It's like, Jesus. OK, of course, yeah. you know, it doesn't pull the trigger. But and, yeah, it's just, and you, you know, know it's, it's just absurd. Just, but
2: you know what you said about the consensus is really good. And one reason why that is, is I think in order to overturn a consensus, like you have to be a Newton or an Einstein. And if you're not Newton or Einstein, then it's very unlikely that you're going to just overturn an entire science in some way or completely reform it. So it's right. like when I was yeah. I was watching that William F Buckley firing line episode of Zaws the other night Brent that you uh you rec mm-hmm. you recommended to me. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning William F Buckley says something like, "Well, what what if a guy um Jumps out of a building and while he is, he's flapping his arms and saying, I can fly and he dies. Like, would you say that guy's, you know, mentally ill? And Zaz was like making up all these excuses is like, well, you know, like, we don't know why he really did it. I mean, did he get into a fight with his wife? Something like that. You know, I'm not, not maybe exactly that, but, and then William F. Buckley's like, okay, well, let's say, uh, he says like, basically you don't really know what the guy was, you know, thinking. So maybe he was trying to put on a show, for example. And William F. Buckley said, well, you know, what if he does it at midnight? And Zaz is like, oh, then you wouldn't see him. And Buckley's like, okay, what if you have, like, what if you have night vision goggles and you're hidden somewhere and you're watching this guy and he jumps out of a building and he's all, you know, no one's watching him. And he's just like, I can fly. And he's flapping his wings and falls to his death. And Zaz does this thing where he's like, well, you know, in that case, the problem is, our thoughts are just essentially private and we can never know what someone's thoughts are. So that's like an easy way (laughs) to just like have this, hold this cognitive dissonance and just Mm -hmm. be able to perpetuate this ideology that you've concocted. Right. You know, like it's, it's an easy way to do that. And the thing is like Zaz is trying to overturn all of these experts and it's like, no, they're not Einsteinian, Newton level <laughs> shakeups. Like you have to have that kind of shakeup yes. with that much rigor in order to do that. So here's the thing. Most people watching these videos aren't even as sophisticated as Zaws. So I just want to say to like, anyone out there, if you really think that you can watch a YouTube video and overturn an entire science or reform it in some substantial way, you're almost like 99.999999999999% um, certain not to do so. Like just putting that out yeah. there.
0: A useful heuristic here is to look for multiple sources for any claims and to not rely on YouTube videos, for example, as your only source for any claim. Right. Um, I think that's a good heuristic to, Oh, you always want to get a sense of, the overview of attitudes on a field. Yes. So for every Zaz, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of very non Zazian or Scientological opinions. Right. And you have to know what those are in order to have an accurate understanding of how psychiatry works. Exactly. And that's why, again, we're not experts in this, but
2: we will defer to the DSM or the national Institute of health, et cetera, Because these are the people that have dedicated their lives to studying this topic, you know, as a layman coming at it from that angle, I'm going to defer to them. It doesn't mean, therefore, everything they say is 100% totally true. And by their own admission, they're even saying that not 100% of everything we say is totally true. So, um, yeah, it's just what it should. People should learn more of like what how to distinguish between a non-credible source and a credible source, not. Let me go through all of these claims and try to figure everything out myself.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's something we don't do. We just look for what the expert sources, as far as we can tell, have to say about it. I mean, that's really our number one way of being able to adjudicate these claims. And there is
2: an art to that, too, because then there's a question of what counts as a reliable source. And so you can go into, well, I mean, again, is this, say, a peer-reviewed journal, for example— And peer-reviewed means that Mm -hmm. when an expert puts out his study or her study on some kind of complex topic, then other experts will come in and see if it's valid or not. And they're all in competition with each other Mm -hmm. and they want to, you know, they would like to find poke holes into prominent theories and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, yeah, Yeah. there's a lot of competition. Not only that, competition from around the world. It's not like it's one centralized organization either. And so it's like, okay, when, when you have that understanding, then you come to, you understand that there's self-correcting mechanisms that a peer-reviewed journal has that the Scientology um, documentary does not have. So that's another key distinction. Yep,
0: exactly. So, so what we're saying is just get all of your information from us <laughs> and all of your beliefs will be true. That's how I'm going to distill this conversation.
3: And donate that And Bitcoin. so
0: that... That is it for our second part on mental illness denialism. You can find us on social media at NDCIO on Twitter, at None Dare Call It Ordinary on Instagram. Also, you can always email us. We have a new series, None Dare Call It Wrong, where we address all of the mistakes and malarkey that we say in our previous series. And you could help us out with that by letting us know if we did, in fact, get something wrong on an episode. And you can reach out to us either on social media or through email, none dare call it ordinary at gmail.com. And with that, we are done.